helping property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. If you haven't gone and checked out my website yet, head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk for loads of freebies, information about all of my programs and services. I think you are going to love it. Now, today, I have a bit of a special podcast for you all. It is with three of my favourite ladies from within the industry. I brought them together so that we could have a discussion around the market and what is going to happen over the next 18 months, or at least what we think is going to happen and what we have seen already. So, sit back, take some notes, relax, let us Fill your ears with some awesome market predictions. If you're ready for it, let's dive straight in. Hello, I'm so excited today. I have got together these three awesome ladies. And if you've not come across them before, I have no idea why not. You should be looking out for them. Um, I've got Laura Muse, Faith Locken, and Jackie Tongs on the podcast today. And for those of you who don't know, I'm Natasha Collins. We are here today to give you guys a market overview, what we're seeing happening in the market, because we're all working in different areas and different sectors. And also we have all got different clients. So we'll be seeing things from completely different points of view as well. And one thing that really I'm sure we all have in common is that people are constantly asking us, what's going on with the market? Is it really optimistic right now? Or should we be feeling like things aren't going very well? And so we're going to give our overview of what we think is happening. We're going to have a good conversation about it um, and hopefully give you some really good takeaways as to what we think. I'm going to caveat this with, to start off with, none of us in the whole of our property investment education lives have been given a crystal ball by the property gods. So <laughs> <laughs> as much as we would have... I you might have been. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> So we we have to I have to caveat by this. This is our opinions. This is what we're seeing in the market. Obviously, uh, after the date of recording, and we are recording on the twenty seventh of July, the market can change. You know, we've seen things happen instantly. We saw, you know, the market pretty much come to a standstill for a couple of things over the last couple of years. I mean, as surveyors the day that that we had the no deal brexit vote and everything stopped in the market <laughs> and the rics came out with new guidelines and we were like what that has the ability to keep happening so just to be to be aware this is the date that we are talking about the market from. okay so caveat over first question how's everybody finding the market right now it's weird. I think that'd be my overall summary. It is weird. Like, it's just like, a, I think it's like a complete, what's the word, like dichotomy, like what the market feels and also how surveyors are feeling. It's like, it's like it's, we're in a different world. And I think that I'm finding that quite frustrating at the moment is that you can see this like huge current positivity in the market and you know i think what a lot of us feared coming out of lockdown how badly the market could be affected hasn't been the reality at this stage um but the way that i don't natasha be interested to hear from your perspective like how surveyors are viewing things is still with this caution that even though the market data doesn't reflect the fact the market has dropped surveyors are 
impacting valuations, but people are, the market's really hot, stuff's really selling really quickly. So it's like, it's in this weird state of flux. I don't know how you guys are finding it, but that's kind of a, my nutshell version. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I'm based in Sheffield, which is up north and the prices are absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's similar from where, where you guys are as well, but you know, you're talking 10, 15, 20,000 pounds over the advertised price, you know, for something that needs 10, 15,000 pounds worth of work. Um, it's just, it's just crazy. And, you know, just by talking to the estate agents, it isn't just, it's not, it's not just first time buyers. It's actually investors um, yeah. in this area that are still buying and they're buying way over what it's worth. Yeah. Um, which I just don't understand. Is it I the frustration of being in lockdown you feel the need to buy something because that's the only common sense reason i could actually come up with why you would do that i wonder if it's um if it's you know investors who've got cash sitting in the bank that's not making them any money um and therefore they have the ability to overpay just to have their pro their money in property um because similar to you Laura I've found that you know I've been outbid at auction a few times now you know during lockdown on properties where I'm like you should not be buying it for that much like there's just no margin at all um and it's interesting when you watch the bidding you see like all the regular investors drop out at the price which we would normally pay mm -hmm. and then there's usually two or three people bidding back and forth up to like over 20k over what you should really be paying for it um so i potentially that could be a reason um from a surveying perspective i know so i work at jll and our valuations team have actually now removed the market uncertainty clause from our valuations mm -hmm. as of last month but i know that some of the other advisory firms have kept that clause in so similar to what you've said jackie it's a weird place where different people are feeling positive other people are feeling st still negative so there's no kind of you know consistency across the market at all so everyone's just playing the guessing game at the moment and it's all that what if right what happens if this this comes in in which case i would overpay on it and i think never ever overpay on a property especially when we haven't got comparables for the last two months because land registry stopped printing their data for may and april and they've still not released data for june so we cannot realistically see what people would pay for a property and so we're going off march figures and then everybody's a little bit excited because they've got the extra stamp duty in their pocket which is not that exciting <laughs> <in> the <slightest laughs> <laughs> and you know here we, here we are with people saying well natasha i just can't get a good can't get a good deal every time i go out and i put an offer in people come along and they outbid me and in that situation let them outbid you honestly <laughs> you do not want to be that person who's thinking oh god i saw someone get outbid by 25 percent 25 that's the point why <laughs> I is it like frustration of everyone being in lockdown and they've come out of obviously the race traps and they want to buy as much as they can because the money has been sat there especially a couple of people i've spoken to you know i'm not a, a seasoned investor so to speak you know i only really started investing full-time in 2018 it's my husband that's been doing it since 2013 so i am still learning but one thing I have learned is, you know, 
because we've got money sat in the bank that we're paying interest on from investors that have lent us over a four or five year period. But do you know what? I would rather keep that money for another four, five, six months until I know that I'm actually getting a good deal, not just panic because I want it to, to be earning any money because what you're going to be buying, you're not actually going to be earning any money. It's just for me, it's just people are patient enough to wait to see yeah. what happens. People are just going ahead and doing it. And I think they're going to... I think they're going to fall on the face and I, I genuinely feel maybe back end of this year, beginning of next year, when, you know, everyone's not furloughed anymore, that's when we're going to see a massive impact. You know, the big impact I've seen in, in our business is mainly we've only got one HMO, one high-end HMO. I've had um, tenants in there for the last 12 months, never, you know, qualmed or quibbled, and they've all moved out um, because of uncertainty with the jobs have gone back to their parents. But on the flip side, you know, 95% of our portfolio is back to lets. Not one person's moved. Not one person's given, you know, run me up and said they can't afford to pay the rent. For me, back to lets have always been a safe and sound investment. And you get all these flashy, you know, HMOs and you get service accommodation. But I think proving the pudding these last few months has 100% been buy to lets are rock solid investments, I feel personally anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you're right about the patience point. And it's almost like something's taken away. Like you say to us, oh, you can't you can't have a bar of chocolate. Well, immediately you want a bar of chocolate. And like I will pay over the odds for that bar of chocolate because I, I want it and I can't have it. Um, so I think I agree that there's a huge amount of impatience. And I, I feel the same as you, that I feel grateful to have, to be in the position that, we, you know, buy to let is, that is what we do. That's what our portfolio is. That's what we've built over the last seven years. And that, it has been really solid like we were very pessimistic at one point we um we looked at the whole portfolio we analyzed every single uh, tenant that we have renting from us what their profession is how much of it's supported by benefits and from our you know we can be quite pessimistic when we want to be we were like well we could easily see like 19 percent of our rents not being paid based on what was happening um, and we, in reality, we haven't seen that. So normally we target a 95% revenue yield, which would mean that we receive 95% of all rents in any given month. And that 5% mostly accounts for voids and a small percentage of arrears. Um, we, we've been at 93.5%, 94%, like we're within the normal range. And I think you're right. Um, it's because people people aren't moving so much. People are happier to stay still at this point just because of what's, what's happened. So, um, yeah, yeah to lets the way and having that longer term view, you, you can ride it out. I 100% agree. I've found the same thing. Like my uh, old tenants moved out was it beginning of March and I had my property relet within a week. Um, but that's just the benefit of being very close to the university and the, and, um, Queen's Medical Centre, which is like the largest um, hospital in the Midlands. Um, and yeah, my tenant actually happens to be an NHS staff member. Um, so my rent has been paid and, get, and you know, they haven't defaulted at all. Um, and that's why I've, I've always been a, buy, a fan of buy to lets. And I think the reason why people are maybe avoiding HMOs is because of, you know, social distancing is, it's going to change everything. It's going to change, you know, how people want to live, professionals might not necessarily want to now live, you know, in groups of, you know, five or whatever. They might hold out a bit longer, stay at, you know, their parents' houses a bit longer until they can either afford to rent, you know, a one-bed apartment on their own or um, 
or you know buy their own property outright so yeah I, d I don't know how the hmo market's gonna go if i'm honest i think it's gonna have to change anyway because you're seeing councils who are now banding rooms <laughs> and we started seeing yeah. that across the country and i think that's all part of this the kind of well actually councils don't have the time to police it really you know they they are being shrunk and shrunk and shrunk but when they do go out and have to police these rogue properties hmos are always the ones that they have to you know slap the landlord's hand deal out hefty fines you know there's been a lot of criminal sentencing over dodgy hmos and i think with the fit for habitation bill and the room size bill and i forget what the hmo bill was called but you know with all of this coming in we're going to have to get to a point with the hmo market where you do small bed sits you give people their individual space and there's a lot of lot of things out there which enables you to do it but gone are the times where we're going to have communal rooms if you can put an ensuite in a bedroom you can also put an elf in kitchen and you can make space for a sofa and from there you've got a bed sit fine that can be your market but hmos i, I can't see it we've always loads of um, direct to hmo landlords at mail outs and we did one in uh, sorry march we were in march just before covid and um, hit us properly and we've had 21 to date separate landlord contacting us offering us do we want to sell do we, do we want to buy their hmo or will we give them a guaranteed rent option and some of these landlords have got six eight bed hmos so it's absolutely crazy and all of them are all student landlords because in sheffield i don't know what it's like where you guys are but you know sheffield uni haven't 100 percent committed for all the students to come back in september and a lot of them are empty like last year in Sheffield alone, Sheffield University had over 400 of their own rooms vacant for the last term. So, you know, it, it's massively affected the HMO um, bubble in Sheffield. There's a lot of high-rise blocks that are now empty in the brand new accommodation. I, I just, I'm struggling to, to see how you can build a business on that at the moment, especially in, in the times we're in, you know, so much vacant under standard properties that you know you know they're, they're trying to charge like 45 50 pound a room like that's just nothing you can't make anything doing that it's not a business not a viable business to do that and um, you know we've really struggled to build that hmo and like i say it's only four beds a mini hmo it's in the prime location sheffield um you know it only got renovated last year we're charging 500 pound a room we filled it now but i wasn't going to drop my prices to get in a price war with everybody else in Sheffield. Because we, we provide great accommodation and the, you know, we've got people from the NHS that are now filling it. But going forward for me, I'm really hesitant about HMOs. I, I don't feel for me right now, it's it's not the lifestyle like Jackie obviously, you know, talks about a lot about, you know, what's your end goal? What's the lifestyle you want to create? And COVID for me has confirmed that HMOs is not, not what I, I want in my life. Mm. <laughs> it does work for some people but you have to be so determined my my gosh you have to be like here rather than you know just getting by 
And I think you also have to have a diversified tenant profile as well. Um, You know, if you are just focusing on the student market and, you know, as we know, the student market has been hit, um, your rooms are going to be empty. But if you look to service, I don't know, contractors, professionals, um, just a range of tenant types, um, you might then, you know, like bulletproof your portfolio a little bit. But um, yeah. I'd say that's also true for single lets as well. Like it's, we've got a really varied uh, tenant type um, that we rent uh, our properties to. And I'd never truly appreciated how important that was before. Like it's more happened by accident than design, to be honest with you. And actually now that I see how that's worked out, I'm like, now that needs to be designed because having that, that, that shift, that spread between some people are self-employed or in their own businesses, some people are employed like by the NHS, some are supported by, uh, mostly by benefits, um, like having that real range in different industries, I don't think that's ever been more important than it is now because it gives you that that spread. And obviously some are going to be in the, like the leisure and hospitality industry and they're being hit the worst, but you can, you can deal with some of that um, as long as it's not everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, definitely. So, I didn't realise actually um, my types of tenant until this happened. Like I never really yeah. thought too much about what they did for a job, but like as, as soon as COVID hit, we were like, oh my God, what does anybody do? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so important. Yeah. Like those right to rent, right to rent checks that we were all complaining about when we thought that the government were trying to put us in charge of immigration and now we're like thank goodness like we need to check out what everybody's doing what they do for work definitely that's a good that's like a really good change change from covid and caring more about your tenants it has to be a landlord and tenant relationship and Mm. I, i mean i preach about this until the cows come home but i think now more than ever if you have never spoken to your tenant that is a problem definitely definitely so we've talked about what the property market is doing and we've kind of touched on COVID-19 and we will come back around to it but what are you seeing on social media what are the biggest myths or fads fads which are untrue that you're seeing on social media or what you're seeing on social media in general um I, I, I don't know if I'll take this one first, but um, I I don't know if it's a fad so much, but I think there are a lot of property trainers out there, um, good and bad, who are, you know, still very much advertising certain um, property investment strategies and, and saying, you know, it's, it's still working or, you know, COVID hasn't impacted their business. And I know for a fact that it has, for example, serviced accommodation in London for me. So I actually, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, invested in a serviced accommodation unit literally like two weeks before lockdown. Um, and I literally have not seen a return on that property since then. Fortunately, I'm in a position where I can cover, you know, the monthly rent and, and service, like bills and service charge and whatnot. Um, and now, like in the past month, we're starting to, you know, revenue is starting to pick up. But, but for those three months, there were no travellers coming in. And it's a central London location unit. Um, so it's very much targeted at the tourism market. So, you know, I've taken that hit and I'm seeing people advertising service accommodation saying, you know, it, it, it works or whatever. And I'm like, it does to a certain extent if you have diversified your your 
profile of tenants. So not only just focusing on tourism, but looking at contractors, looking at professionals, looking at, you know, various different people to take on those service accommodation units. Um, but yeah, that, that's been my personal experience. And it really irks me when I see these adverts and I'm like, please don't just, you know, throw thousands of pounds away for training um, to get into an industry, which at the moment is struggling. Um, at least wait if point. anyone is considering service accommodation. I implore you to wait, you know, <laughs> for at least six wait to 12 bit, months. Yeah. But I think as well, like along those lines too, that <sighs> it's been used as an opportunity by some great marketeers to sell you on setting up a whole new business. Like I've seen this a lot, mm -hmm. like, oh, what you're currently doing doesn't work. So just suck it all off and just do this new faddy, much more exciting thing. And I'm just like, I'm tearing my hair out going, okay, yes, the thing that you're doing isn't working great right now, but that doesn't mean you just abandon ship of it. Like, how can you, how can you tweak it? How can you adjust it? Like th there's got to be a way that you can make it work better. And I've just seen so much of it and it makes me so sad. I'm like, you're going to, most of you are going to waste a lot of time setting up something else new that actually it's, has got its own downsides anyway, when you could have been working on your existing business and making it more resilient. Uh, mm. So that's my soapbox moment, soapbox <laughs> moment for today. <laughs> and for me, I just, I feel nice. I don't know, I might upset some people. I don't, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> um, so what I found is, is obviously you, like going back to the training element of it, Yes, I feel like it, it has a place and it's important at a certain stage, but I feel like at the minute, everybody's a property trainer. People that have been doing it a few months are a property trainer. And I feel it's a time where people really, really need to be doing the due diligence on people when you sign up for these courses. There's lots of people I know that have taken these cheap courses during COVID and you know they're a waste of money, they've got no value. And actually that person who's giving that content hasn't even purchased a buy to let. Um, you know, they're still at the beginning of their journey as well. And I feel it's a massive missell for people. They've just jumped on the bandwagon. I think it's really unfair and unethical, if I'm honest. You know, I've I've never done a property course. I've done how I view social media. And if I'm honest with you, you know, you know Natasha, you know, it was 96 quid and it's basically to point someone in a direction of when we've had several conversations and they're kind of a bit better probably than conversations anymore. Um, that's kind of where I've directed them. It's not where I want to go. Um, I also feel there's a lot of naysayers out there. So, you know, all doom and gloom and you can get very consumed on social media with that, you know, especially if you're not feeling great yourself that day, you might have had a tenant turn around and say they're not paying. And then, you know, you get drawn into that negativity and, and, for me, what I found is, especially when COVID first hit, I did get drawn into that, that first week. You know, none of us has ever been through anything like this before. And it was all doom, gloom. Oh my God, we're all gonna go bust. We're all gonna have to sell us properties. Um, and I, I was panicking, like I was having palpitations, I was having sleepless nights, which is not my personality. Um, and it was someone who I knew were actually running with me, like, Laura, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're gonna need to stop, stop doing this. <laughs> going on because I'm coming across like that and that's just not how I am mm -hmm. um I think you can get very I think you need to batten down the hatch just a little bit and be a little bit selfish and I think you need to go into self-preservation mode if I'm honest and cut out the bullshit because social media is absolutely full of it and what I found is people have really thrived in this time and people have been very transparent so you can kind of see them for actually what they are so I think it's had its positive and positives and negatives 
Um, but I think it's out of a lot of people that actually are doing what they say they're doing on the team. Do you not think that it's also led to a lot of... How... I don't think I can put this... People calling each other out on stuff that oh. they should not be calling each other out on. Like, we don't need to be sat here reading about other people's disputes and who they're taking to court and this, that and the other. Like, for me, like, I have to just mute. I don't, I don't want to be seeing that on social media. If you've made a mistake, own it for yourself and tell people what the mistake is. Like, we've all made mistakes, you know. I've been in this industry so long and as a surveyor, I've made mistakes. And I've held my hand up and gone, shit, I missed that. You know, and like, it's been embarrassing at the time and I'm sure that it will continue to happen throughout the rest of my career, you know, but bless you. <laughs> I'm glad I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I just, I sometimes think we have to take responsibility for what we're doing. And if you have not chosen to be informed enough about what you're doing, maybe you've missed on the due diligence and hey everybody's been there and missed on the due diligence i cannot phone every agent to find out what market values are and sometimes people don't get back to me and maybe because they're hiding something or maybe they're not hiding something you know you can't see 100 percent of everything right but what would you do next time rather than bashing the person who you think the problem is that would be my take on it i really i can't look at it if, if you've done that i've probably muted or blocked you <laughs> well do you know what i think as well i mean i i used to have horses and the horsey world is such a bitchy world like literally people would stab you in the back as soon as they look at you and when i first got into property i did it i found it weird that people genuinely wanted to help you without no ulterior motive um but what i have found in lockdown is like you said natasha that has changed because i feel like people out and about doing viewings, doing the refurbs, being sat at home, festering, the mind's been on overtime. And I think they've kind of conjured up these scenarios or maybe something that small's been blown out of proportion. And it's come out on social media and it's probably not come out in the best way. But I think it's down to people feeling frustrated, bored, need to go out and do something. And that's what the horsey people are like. <laughs> <laughs> should we also talk actually i think let's put a flip on this what are the good things that we're doing in social media what are we seeing because i know there's a lot of negativity and then i mean i can get trapped in it and just be like oh my god like i can't do this like block it or not looking at it i know that laura you and i have had a conversation about this before what is the benefit of using social media right now what are we getting from it well, I found that, so I sort of, I think about a week or two into lockdown, started doing uh, weekly lives with other property investors and developers. And it's just been a great way to connect with people that I might not have connected with previously. Um, and I found a lot of people have actually been messaging me, um, wanting to, you know, get advice or support in looking for their first, you know, property for, to, to buy their first home or first investment property. And I've actually had a few investors reach out to me wanting to make their money work for them. So it's 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 actually been, you know, really like good for me in that sense, when I ignore all of the other stuff that's going on, all the negative stuff. In the positive light, I've connected with more people than I ever would have done, you know, if we weren't in lockdown. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's, I found that it's been a weird dichotomy that for me, like when lockdown hit, I was like, I am going to be one of those people who like stands up and like does a good job during this time. Like I'm going to, we're going to shine through this time. That was my like plan. Um, and I exhausted myself in the process of like trying to be there and help everyone. Yeah. Um, but what we did do that I'm really proud of which social media has been a big part of making that all possible was you know before um with the work that we do in property strategy I was very like much one-to-one -one focused and actually during this time using things like facebook groups have brought my clients all like a lot closer um, and created far more of a community and actually how that is working in terms of people being supported by each other because the great people have come together and stood up and like come together and uh and in a way that is far better than it would ever have been if it was an in-person thing, because you just couldn't do it enough to have that kind of um, support. That for me has been something that's really great that's come out of that, that social being more connected uh, during this time. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. Um, I mean, I've done exactly the same as you. Like you've, you've put yourself out there so much to help other people. You've absolutely exhausted yourself in the process, <laughs> um, which is 100% what I did. But from like helping people get on social media and you know people didn't feel confident but you know god i've connected with so many people that i never would have connected with before you know i don't go to loads of networking events and this time for me you know it took me a week to kind of get a hold of the reins when obviously everything happened when we locked down and but i just thought do you know what this is a time for you to make you know to be one of them people that people thought do you know what in lockdown jackie tomes Faith, Natasha, Laura Muse, they all went out there, put great content out there, and they really helped other people get through this difficult time. And I think you can, you know, it has been the time to make or break you as a, a public figure or an influencer or whatever you want to call it. Um, so that's really what I did put my focus into was helping people in my group, in my community, doing challenges. But also it's led to so many other speaking opportunities speaking about like doing this for you guys now and um, you know live podcasts for people and connecting with people I probably never would have done and um, so I think it's had massive positive impact in, in my business and mm -hmm. um, you know the investors and it's I think it's it's been the time to shine let's put it that way <laughs> oh my gosh I agree with you did I meet all you all you ladies through COVID like yeah. we actually sat down and and had proper conversations through COVID and Faith. I know we've we've met ages ago in the past, although I like I need to remember that event. Um, but I would never have had the time to have an actual one-on-one -on -one conversation with you all. And like, how nice has that been? And the fact that our brands then cross over, and like none of us are in competition with each other. We just get on. Woo woo! <laughs> Girl power. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 is definitely like for me, and it, you know, and and it also it helps us support each other too because nobody's an island, and sometimes you can put yourself out there in the industry and be a bit like, oh wait, like should I be doing this? Like, am I being silly? What am I seeing? Is this silly? Like, you know, it puts perspective on it because we can also get, I can also definitely get in my bubble. 
I think as well, like for me as someone who's like very much a freedom seeker, I love to travel, um, but I also love to go and speak at events. And those kind of two things are, you know, it's possible to logistically manage them around each other, but actually it's easier if you don't have to do that and logistically manage it. And like, I love that you can speak at, you know, some event in Scotland one day and Cornwall the next day. Um, and actually you're somewhere else entirely in the world. Like that for me, if I could have like designed a life, like COVID has actually helped to make that life possible because everyone's just far more accepting of that as a concept. So that, you know, we're talking about a wider benefit of it all happening that for me, I, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this if it wasn't for, for that, this bizarre time in the world. Very true, very, very true. So let's move on to what are your worries for the next 12 to 18 months in the property industry? What do, we, what do you think we should be concerned about? Valuations. Like that's my biggest worry, valuations and loans to values. How exciting is my life? <laughs> yeah, I just think that um, for us, we're like really adjusting how we're working based on the fact that I just don't trust what valuation will come back, um, you know, trying to revalue later this year or early next year, um, how the comments that are made on the valuation report will influence what loan to value, like in terms of like that getting in and out of deals. So we do blocks of flats, that's our primary focus. Um, but we also do package up deals for individual investors as well. So it's small uh, like flats basically. But for me, it's got to be like, for us, we're getting around it by extending the timeframes that we're working on, like with our, with our investors, we are making the plan to be around not trying to refinance in six to nine months because i just don't if obviously if i can and the, the market is different to what we fear it could be then fine um but my fear is that it could really screw you over and get you into a not very good position if you don't plan it right so that's that's my biggest concern valuations for me and revaluations and we've got a couple coming up um, early next year we're thinking oh my gosh <laughs> what's going to happen um it's just it's just the real uncertainty like who knows what's going to happen, but there's not, you can't go through everything we've just been through and there's not going to be a knock-on effect. Um, and the people who think there isn't, um, I, I would argue the complete opposite point. Um, but revaluations, valuations are, are definitely for us, obviously purchasing, we buy in cash, we refurb, we refinance. Um, that's what we do in our business the majority of the time. You know, we're looking at um, a 18-unit um, commercial bedsit building at the minute. Um, you know, we're trying to get an evaluation now because, and try to agree a deal now because, you know, we want to get it through as soon as we can at this end because we don't want to be doing it in nine nine months' time because it's going to be completely different. We wouldn't get the mortgage that we'd need. Um, and I think doing stuff like that for us is a concern, if I'm, if I'm really honest. Yeah, I mean, I would just echo what you two have said in terms of valuations, but I, I also worry for, um, there's a lot of newbie investors. I've been getting a lot of requests from people wanting to get into inv property investment now, um, you know, looking to do buy, refurb, refinance deals, but not really understanding, you know, the lending market, how it works, how bridging works, getting into, um, you know, locked into these bridging, bridging loans, which 
uh, you know, are going to need to be serviced and are going to come to an end at the end of the term. And if you can't revalue um, at the higher, you know, at what you anticipated the new market value would be, you're going to be screwed. And so I'm really concerned for those who are kind of entering the market now, not so much for people who who are seasoned and understand and have kind of, you know, future-proofed their portfolio or are being patient and not, you know, jumping straight into deals. I think there's going to be a lot of um, people maybe defaulting uh, on loans and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's where my concern is. Mm. Do you want to know? I'm going to go slightly out different different direction altogether and my big concerns the valuation thing is is a complete worry um and the only thing that i've been doing is just basing on the fact that everything's like 10 to 20 percent lower than i was expecting right now and when it's higher happy days number one being a commercial surveyor this planning use class the use class order change will impact valuations on uh, commercial leases and the extent of that at the moment I'm kind of like weighing it up I'd probably still value a rent based upon now all of the used classes as they were previously and I know that that's going to cause a lot of disputes with tenants and I think that it's going to have to you're going to have to be very much fixing in your use class when you agree a lease and you have to be definite but also know that now that everything falls under youth class e you're going to get a tenant surveyor who's going to come back and argue so damn hard there's going to be so many disputes over that um commercial leases in general we need to be watching out for um like all of the covid clauses that are going to be put in and the, the fact that commercial tenants are asking for clauses to go into a lease which says in the event of a pandemic, they just get to like waive all the rents. Now, what is the definition of pandemic? When does yeah. that come in? And as a, as a landlord, how much do I up the rent? Or as a, as a commercial surveyor, how much am I upping the rent for them to have the privilege of that clause? So all of that mm. kind of worries me because then I've got to go and lecture on that come September. And I'm like still trying to work it out in my head. What would I do? What would be reasonable for me to do what would be reasonable for a tenant to come back with and try and play that middle ground secondly if one of the big things that worries me is that we've needed leasehold reform for years and that was meant to come out in february and they're still debating on it because covid has slowed it all down and i'm in leasehold tribunal tomorrow which i'm so glad <laughs> that you can now do that from new york but at the same time like it's just the uncertainty over previous like housing acts and um, all of the, everything that goes into that, which I was hoping leasehold reform back in February was kind of going to overturn and also bring in more stringent measures around managing agents, because I feel like a managing agent has to be regulated at this point in order to be able to administer service charges and things like that for me is would stop all of these disputes but the fact that that's not come in because of covid worries me that we drag this on and it will even be forgotten about because it won't be at the government the top of the government's uh like hierarchy of things to change so for, for me like that is my worry is that all of this was coming out there's been snap changes which the government can seem to do in an instant but the things that are hold that are slowing down the industry haven't changed as quickly when they were meant to and that for me is uh, 
a big worry because that is also going to impact on valuations. Mm. So that's my two cents of the things that I've been wanting to happen but haven't. Can I throw one more thing in? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I've been speaking to some new, some new investors, as in new that I've never spoken to before, a lot of them are really keen on doing flips. Now, that is not something I would be doing right now. Flips. No, why is everyone wanting to do that? I agree. I'm confused. Also, Just... the price of goods has gone through the roof. I mean, we're selling a flip at the moment. It's on the market, 10 grand above what we expected, which is great. It's going to hit the boom. But one, it might come back and be valued at 130, not 140. Mm. So that's completely different. Um, you know, we've got the new builds that we've done. We've not had one offer on any of them. There's three of them. But luckily for us, you know, we've got three exits. We can refinance and keep and rent them out, or we can do a tenant buyer. So that's fine. But I just think especially newer investors, why the hell would you go in and, and want to buy, refurbish something? You're going to have to wait for the six month rule anyway to sell it. And God knows what's going to happen in six months time. I just think it's crazy. But going back to what we said earlier, it's what people are still teaching. Yeah. Are they factoring in the fact that number one, you can't get a lot of goods. Well, and when you can, the builders merchants have put such a huge markup on it. Bag of plaster, what was seven seven mm. pounds is about twenty to twenty-five pounds right now. Have you factored that in in your contingency? Like you know what? We've only got plaster because we've got a new build site. So they're prioritizing new build sites over renovations. So that's why we've got plaster. Does anybody know about that? Like people never do the research. <laughs> But not, who, not what you know, it's what you know. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of inquiries, Laura. <laughs> yeah, everyone's new best friend. You can mark up Give me a plaster. <laughs> How exciting are we, by the way? I know, right, that we know this stuff. But this is this is about being a seasoned investor and talking to other investors, right? If we, if we weren't talking to people and staying in our own little bubbles, we'd just think it's the norm and that we were going around doing this. But... Even like construction jobs, you still have to make sure that you've got the right PPE for people, that they can, that everything's disinfected every 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, but you cannot have people on site if they are not doing that. And you can only have a certain number of people on site because they can't work within very close proximity. Or you have to be giving them, you know, complete face coverings. That slows down your job. And that's not because it's a bad thing, but if you're then waiting for your finance, or you, you're, you're, you're then waiting for your job to finish, your finance is going up. And if you cannot renegotiate on the terms of your bridge or your development finance, how much extra does that cost you on a monthly basis? We were at that point once of a bridge, a bridge end date looming. And I can tell you from experience, it was like one of the worst parts of my life. It was so stressful. The terms were not flexible. Um, and we managed to get the uh, refinance done in time, but it was just horrendous. And I can't imagine what that would have been like in a period that the property market was in a downturn. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, gr I'm glad that we kind of went through it because it kind of teaches you the lesson. But if you haven't experienced that before, I can tell you that it's absolutely horrendous and you won't sleep at night um, and everything becomes hard. And there's no matter how hard you push, that, that world goes at the speed that it wishes to go at. Um, and uh, yeah, be careful, I think is the message that is coming through from us all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's flip it on its head. 
I always like to present the balanced argument. What are we feeling optimistic about? Deal! (laughs) (laughs) More deals! (laughs) All right, I'm a bit overexcited then. I'd say from from what I'm standing or sitting, <laughs> it's um, I always look try and look for you know the silver lining or the opportunities in in things like this. And I work in you know the office sector essentially, so I buy and sell office buildings. And we've seen a lot of office tenants that were had committed to take new commercial leases in new build developments have now decided. Well, actually, COVID has taught us that we don't need to work. You know, spend you know seventy pounds a foot on a brand new office building in, you know, central London, we can get our employees to either work from home or work flexibly. Um, And so, whereas from an investment point of view, it's not great because we're having to try and rewrite, you know, business cases for our investors to buy these office buildings. But at the same time, if, you know, there's going to be less um, commercial tenants and office builders are going to be vacant, there's opportunity there to, you know, repurpose um, vacant buildings you know we've seen the changes recently in permitted development rights there's just there's so much opportunity out there um if you if you know what you're looking for and how to you know optimize these opportunities i think there's there's a lot that can be done like you know this is not the time to be idle at all Mm-mm. i do think the commercial market off- offers a huge amount of opportunities i for sure I've got my feelers out on a load of commercial because number one, the, with the leases left to run, you can get them at over 10% gross yield. And I know I don't normally talk gross, but that's always my starting point with commercial is I look at that first before we go into, you know, all the nitty gritty. And then with with the commercial tenants, I'm quite, you know, I, I look at them to see actually, will you stand the test of time and do you like being where you are? and do a lot of inquiries on the, on the tenant that's in situ. And then I think also, because with all these change of uses, actually as a landlord, even though I've been complaining about how I'm gonna value rents for landlords who've wanted a certain rent valued in a way, as a new investor, that offers so much opportunity for me to go, well, actually now, it was once an office, now it could be retail. Now, actually, I'm gonna put an agent in there. Oh, we could put a bank in there. Oh, maybe we could use that as a little bit of a restaurant with some A5, A5 which is now gonna be E. Like, so a, take, a restaurant with a takeaway that we would have never got before. Say so what? Like, okay, now we can get innovative. And then that's where I get super excited. I'm like, okay, well, then I can buy up the cheap units, know that I can use it for whatever I want, don't have to go through planning permission, fabulous put a open user clause in the lease and then get pretty tactical with that so that for me is a massive opportunity right now i know probably for a lot of people everything i've just said sounds really scary (laughs) but like like i get so excited about being able to do the strategy behind leases because not being in the country as much that is the only thing that i have access to change and add value to so like whereas you guys probably get excited by development i get excited by leases (laughs) yeah i get excited by both which is you know maybe doubly sad i don't know but um, i i genuinely think there'll be a lot more um developers considering inputting you know flexible working units uh space in their developments 
nearer so which are you know residential developments are often nearer to residential communities as opposed to you know in central london um i've got a friend of mine at the moment who's considering a new business venture where she specifically looks for um spaces in sort of you know zone two zone three which she can convert to you know serviced offices um and allow people to work you know, close to home, almost working from home, but not in your home. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see a lot of people come out of COVID thinking, I don't want to go back to my office in central London, but I don't want to work from home because there's too many distractions. So where is that in between? And there lies an opportunity for people that are savvy enough to, you know, to take that opportunity um, and run with it. Mm-hmm. I think I would come at a slightly different angle in terms of what I'm feeling optimistic about and it's I guess I didn't think that the market would be I mean obviously it's a really weird market at the moment but I kind of thought it would be in a really bad place right now that's that's what I imagined was probably going to be or at least would be going into a very bad place and right now it's not Um, and what that's given us all is a bit of breathing space to actually plan um, and to be able to set things up to be able to know that something is coming and even though it's not here yet it just gives you that that space to set things up the bells are here i'll stop (laughs) um i I don't know can i go um opportunities for us what we're feeling quite optimistic about is um what we've found recently is people who so like your startup new build developers are not so keen to go forward because a lot of them actually do build to sell they don't do build to rent which is our model going forward so we've had quite a lot of land opportunities recently that have come up um you know from something from a three bed through to an 18 unit site um because obviously we don't know what's going to happen and for someone who wants to sell them it's quite off-putting um so we've had quite a lot of opportunities of that so far I can always think that that's going to get even better as we kind of go on in time. And um, for us personally, you know, we've had things like partial blocks of flats that, you know, it's devastating for the people that are doing it. But like you've already touched on, you know, they've gone over their terms because of COVID. They've had to shut the site down. They've gone over the payment terms and had to extend their bridge. Um, and then they've gone into the higher rate of interest. They've been coming out and they've been trying to draw down. And instead of giving them the full percentage, they're giving them like 40% of the drawdown. And they can't financially afford to, to finish them projects. So it's chicken and egg, you know, it, it's it's devastating for them. But for us, you know, we're trying to do a win-win situation. And that's one thing I would say to anyone who's listening. Yes, we're going to get great deals coming up, but it has to be a win-win. Don't turn into a shark. Don't get greedy. It has to be a win-win for both. Because some people are going to go through some real hardships over the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months. Who knows? Um, but I think we can help facilitate them to get them out of their sticky situation. But for me, it's kind of commercial conversions and and the new build developments. I think there's going to be a real opportunity um, for us as seasoned investors, if you want to call it, to, to kind of take, take hold of quite a lot of that personally. And Jackie's bells have probably stopped now, so I'll stop. <laughs> Yeah, they have stopped. I literally have to time it every 15 minutes to be like, and. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'd made my point really, this, this that we've got a great opportunity to be able to plan. And I think coming off the back of what you've said, Laura, I think it's just, we, we're having this conversation a lot, I think, today about this, like, seasoned investors versus new investors. And I think just one thing that I would say off the back of this conversation is, 
there are great opportunities to do a lot of what you guys have discussed, but just because there's an opportunity to do it, if you don't know what you're doing or really new to property, don't think that therefore that's what you have to do. Like you can still make buy to let work at this time. Oh my God, there we go. Point over. <laughs> and simple deals can be good, right? Like everybody starts with a simple buy to let or everybody is useful. I love buy to lets. I will always buy buy to lets. Yeah, me too. Me too. And do you know what? It might take you longer to get to wherever it is that you want to go. But quite frankly, you have to be in property for the long haul. If you're only in property for the next six months, I just wouldn't bother. Is that controversial? I... No, I completely agree. You yeah, know, we're I also agree. Dream, aren't you? you know, get rich in six, 12 months, you know, I kind of bought into that, if I'm, I'm, if I'm honest with you. And, you know, six months in, I'm like, this ain't working, getting frustrated. Luckily, I worked my husband, who was a complete polar opposite personality to me. So it was like, Laura, this is a long-term thing. We're never going to sell them. We'll get, you know, buy as many as we can when we can. And we build up that portfolio. It's not a race. The only mm -hmm. race we're in is our own. And I think that's one thing you can get caught up in is, seeing everyone doing deals online now, we're actually, is it right for you? Maybe it's not, so just run your own race. I think it's about balancing the risk versus reward as well. Like I think there are some some of these sexier, you know, or people call them strategies, sexier business models would be what I would call them. It. The, the, you've got to weigh up that risk, I think as well, compared with the reward. Like, yes, you may be able to uh, make a thousand pounds a month maybe net on it but what's the likelihood of that happening and what is the potential downside of it too and i think because of the industry we're in being what it is and it's a lot of marketing hype and what's you know puts bums on seats for events and things like that's the that's the stuff that cuts through and hopefully just a little bit of of reality from people like ourselves who are not trying to do that um you know hopefully some people listening into this might just just question and think and just dig a little bit deeper into the numbers and just risk assess things in a slightly different way uh, with the current market being even more of a reason to do it because in an upward market, you can make some mistakes and kind of just get away with it. But right now you, you can't. Um, and even if it means that you have to wait, like there is going to be some sort of correction in the market, some kind of dip, but at some point it will come back again. And if the longer you can wait towards the bottom of that dip before just before buying, the easier it's going to be to come and like execute your exit, whatever that may be. Um, so it's, you know, just buy well, if you're going to buy now, obviously always buy well, but now more than ever, just don't buy something unless it's actually a really good, a good, a price that you means you can weather the upcoming storm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Quick question on Brexit. How do we see, um, how do we what see? Fact? I can't believe we're still asking this question. How it's many because, years? I mean, everybody forgets about it, but um, living- The politicians in, mainly. Yeah. Living in a country that is doing phenomenally well on trade at the moment and just getting themselves in some really good spots, thanks to the guy at the top. I can see how important it is at the moment. Um, also, none of that probably came across as sarcasm on the podcast. I don't agree with anything that's going on in terms of trade in this country. So just like, and I'm in the US. Um, how do you guys see this running in terms of property? Are you worried about it? Or are you just ready to just know what the score is and get on? 
think it's just firewood, isn't it? Like there's quite a bit of firewood that's like building up. It's like end of 2020 looking like it could be a bonfire. I'm being a bit overdramatic there, but it was quite a nice metaphor for a second. Um, just like there's, it's just another reason that the beginning of next, end of this year, beginning of next year, it's just going to be, it's going to be bumpy. And Brexit is really not helping that fact. Like it's going to be as bad as it is with how the timeline is playing out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just hope, yeah. It's going to cause it's going to cause just an additional ballooning of whatever the problem is that we go through. That's that's my view anyway. I think we just we just want some decisions, don't we? We want to move forward. We want some clarity on what's going to happen. You know, God, I can't even, I can't remember how long it's been going on now, but it's like oh, when Brexit happens, what's going to happen then? And we've been delaying things for such a long time. I just think we just need some clarity so we can all you know decide what we need to do best for our businesses and move forward and. Unfortunately, I think COVID has just dragged it on even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm so ready. I'm so over it and ready for it to be kind of decision made, move on, you know, get on with like sorting out our businesses, proofing them to the point, you know, to be, I don't know, Brexit ready. I, 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 I don't even know, but I just think that it's, I'm just sick and tired of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else has had the same thing. Um, but I, I do think it will have, obviously some form of impact the same way as the global pandemic has. Um, I think there'll be from a development perspective, because that's the industry I work in, um, you know, if there if there are fewer sort of construction workers coming from overseas or from Europe, you know, there's gonna be a demand for labor and that and if that outstrips supply and you know costs will rise. So I'm just I think it might struggle the construction industry might struggle a little bit um but I, again i think if you are seasoned or you know what you're doing you should be able to to weather the storm but yeah it's just another thing we're gonna have to deal with once <laughs> once we're out of this pandemic we're going into you know an even worse brexit pandemic <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean i would love to i'd i'd love to stop writing in my client reports all of the risks associated with Brexit. Cause I do like, I advise for international funds and um, sit on boards and advise about where the market's going. And as part of that, and also to protect myself, I have to always flag up the possible outcomes <laughs> of a no deal Brexit or a deal Brexit. Like here is what we can expect in the market or we should be forecasting and it's things like well if there's a no deal are scotland going to re revote on their independence um if we have no trade deal and we still have a donald trump president what does that mean for trading with the us like all of these risks that as a surveyor you have to forecast for your clients and be like and we're watching out for this and we're watching out for this and we're watching out for this which also presents its opportunities because if this falls and this happens and stock market changes and we can do x y and z and we're going to be buying off of you know us investors who have now decided to sell up because the pound's looking weak all of that will be so much clearer when we've actually got an outcome and we can't forecast for everything we cannot forecast for everything natasha do you think it's like priced in like already what's happened with like brexit like it's been hanging around for so long you don't you think there's more pain but I just think that's that's the um, international market. I think that mm -hmm. locally, we probably won't see much. And I don't think that if you're buying single properties, it's going to have as big a dip or there's going to be as mm -hmm. big an impact. If you are 
trading in these high, big, like, office blocks like Faith does, and these big, um, you know, there was a lot of, like, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk when you go to the World Built Environment forums about buy um, health, uh, old, old age housing blocks, uh, buy multi-lets in the UK, you know, buy up these massive blocks with hundreds of flats in them. Like that is where your yield is going to be. That's the strongest yield in the UK. And that is where a lot of the pension funds have been putting their money. That's where a lot of overseas pension pots have been putting their monies and huge rights have been putting their money in that. If that all changes from, um, if that if that changes and that becomes something which becomes impossible for overseas investors to do, I mean we've already seen the increase in two percent stamp duty, which is about to take hold for overseas investors, and that is com that is limited companies as well. I think they're just going to start leaving the market for a bit until, you know, and they'll leave the market. The pound will get weaker, and then they'll think, oh. My my money's stronger now. I'm gonna come back in and buy up your cheap property. I I just that's that's what I see could happen. Um, and I guess from a sort of commercial occupier viewpoint, a lot of commercial occupiers are going to be wondering whether actually is a, an HQ in London or in a major city in the UK even worth it? You know, if if the company is say you know a, from a European country they might choose to have their HQ elsewhere, which will then have a knock-on effect on, you know, those the, the employees that work for that occupier are no longer going to be, let's say, you know, based in Manchester during the week and then flies back to France um, for the weekend. And so anyone doing, let's say, serviced accommodation uh, in Manchester who's servicing those, you know, business clients who are coming in, you know, for the week, their market's going to be gone. So it's, it, you know, it all kind of filters through. Um, so, you know, we, we're not going to know until a decision is made and then we start to see all of the effects trickle through. Mm -hmm. But so many decisions have got to be made off the back of this. And I mean, I just my personal view is, you know, we've been through a really difficult time these last few months. And one thing that I, I personally feel is that the UK needs to be a lot more self-sufficient. We rely on too many other countries for our, you know, products, our services. And during this time, we've not been able to get access to them and it's restricted us. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you know, I'm in Sheffield, Sheffield Steel's renowned, and then it's all being found out abroad, you know, now's the time to start bringing some of that back. And I, I hope that Brexit, the positive side of Brexit will actually make the UK a lot more efficient with a lot more homegrown businesses um, are gonna start flourishing flourishing instead of you know competing against price from china etc because you know we're in a disposable world now i mean we're going completely off topic but you know now we're in a throwaway nation but you don't replace or get something fixed you just buy it again because it's so cheap um whereas we never used to do that and things lasted a lot longer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're right there are so many things I mean, Faith, you touched on it as well. The knock-on effect from the start to what go trickles down, and it may not immediately, because of the nature of how long it takes to sell and buy property as well, it doesn't happen like overnight. So we have got that time, you know, and then slowly but surely you see industries change and we can't forecast for how that, those industries are going to change, but you're right. Like there are gonna be changes 
and we just need to be aware that that's coming and we can't do anything else about it like i would love to risk proof everybody's portfolios for them and you know if i could i would but i can't <laughs> <laughs> should we do a couple of quick fire questions um yeah so a couple of word answers each what opportunities do you see for property investors coming up over the next 12 months meta developments Opportunity to buy uh, cheaper properties. Yep. To massively scale your portfolio in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And take advantage of the cheap interest rates right now. Yeah. <laughs> They're very good. Okay, next question. Where do you think the investment hotspots are in the UK right now? I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely don't think there's any one good hot. I think you can find, you know, your quote unquote gold mine area anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about doing the right due diligence and depends on you as the investor. Are you looking for yield? Are you looking for capital appreciation? There just, there's so much more that goes into that question. So I don't know where the best hotspots is, are, sorry, but I personally invest in the Midlands and in London. Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely something about like, just that area that's been slightly outside commutersville um up until the instance of like london so just outside of commutersville like you wouldn't be able to live there and commute in um so i feel there could be a real resurgence particularly more like some of these coastal towns that are just out of reach of commuterville of london that you could feasibly go into the office a couple of days a week you'd have a long commute but from the most time you can work from home i think there could be a bit of a resurgence in those areas um which I, I'm pleased about because I'm by the coast in Kent and before we are just outside of Commutersville, but I think this could see a real, uh, is a real good reason for us to be continuing to invest in that area. So I feel very confident in that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say the North because that's where I'm from. I feel like every international Southern investor is coming to Sheffield. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Sheffield, Leeds and Manchester are the three major, major places to invest up here and trying to get a property at the minute is like I won't say rocking horse shit because I'm swearing but I just did <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking in the southwest. I think there's really big opportunities it went up about six or seven years ago and then it got forgotten about and with the better transport links down there I'm really seeing opportunities especially because people don't want to travel as, as far east they want to stay in the west country and I grew up around there, so I love it. So, <laughs> like, so it's therefore the answer that it is a combination of London, the Midlands, the North, the Southwest, and the Southeast. Okay. <laughs> which loops back around to Faith's initial initial point, which is there are always good yeah. reasons to invest in different places for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> we completely proved that one right. <laughs> Will your strategy be changing over the next couple of years? And if yes, how will it be changing? Okay. <laughs> oh, no, it's not really going to change. The only thing that we are shifting to is really what we're already doing. It's just kind of a bit of a uh, the business model being done in a slightly different way. So I think 
we're continuing to do buy to lets. We are still buying blocks of flats. I guess the one thing that has changed slightly is just at the moment, the number of units that we'd be happy to buy in a block. Uh, we're just reducing it just because of banks' opinions on lending on those larger blocks and therefore also surveyors' opinions on how quickly those can be turned around if they had to be sold. So I guess that's a slight shift, um, but still very much doing buy-to-let, but also just being able to help other people to buy buy-to-lets at the right price at the right time. Um, but so, yeah, really, overall, that the kind of the model will stay the same. It's just we're kind of changing how exactly that, that works in terms of how we work with investors. Um, that's shifted a, a bit around it. Yeah, for us, I mean, nothing's really changed, if I'm honest. We'll always buy buy-to-lets. We'll always buy um, buy-to-lets for our investors. What we are doing, which has changed slightly, is we used to um, work with investors who would leave money with us for 12 months. Now we won't lend, um, take money for a minute, but it's got to be a minimum of three years, just because we don't know what's going to happen. We can offer them a little bit of a better return. Um, and obviously, we can get a few projects out of that. And, you know, we're not kind of restricting, you know, if it's 12 months, who knows what's going to happen in 12 months? So that's changed for us. We're now working with investors on a longer term process, but we're just looking, you know, our, we've always planned to do build to rent. And um, that's what we've always done, wanted to do since we got into property. So going forward, we'll do say 75% of build to rent and then the rest we'll sell. And um, depending on where it is, or we could do a tenant buyer with the other portion, depending on what the market's doing. But nothing's really changed for us. We're just looking out for for better deals on what we plan to do originally, really. Nothing's really changing for me either. So continuing to build the buy-to-let portfolio in the Midlands, um, that kind of provides the, the monthly cash flow um, or steady income, and then doing developments in Southeast London. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm the same. Nothing's really changed. I've got my buy-to-lets. I did change my one essay to a buy-to-let just because it was becoming too much of a hassle and the amount of checks that I felt I needed to do to protect my cleaners when people came in. I, I actually thought I'm not, I don't want to deal with the hassle. I'm putting that on as a buy-to-let too. So purely buy-to-lets in my own name, my limited companies will now invest in commercial because that's what gets me excited and gets me out of bed in the morning when I'm investing. So that's nothing really changed it's not not that i'm spit chatting about anything different from normal so i think we're all staying pretty focused and no one's bought a new course about setting up a new business is that the summary yeah. from this call you got on it as it was crashing <laughs> don't tell james <laughs> I am joking. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> I think what we can grab from that is stay in your lane. Um, but choose a strategy that you want to work on that excites you as well, because I don't think any of us would be doing what we're doing if we didn't like it, right? And I think a strategy that, uh, sorry, um, a business model that gives you the lifestyle you want, I think is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I would never do service accommodation because I don't want another job personally. You know, I know you can outsource it and stuff, but you know, you've got to get involved to start off with, and I just don't want that in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, ladies, for coming and joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Really fun. 
Um, I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to us. We've got a lot out of it too. You may share our opinions. You may not share our opinions. But that is the beauty of the property industry. In the built environment, we all come at it from different angles. And that is what keeps everything innovative and growing ultimately over the long term. So thank you for listening to us today. If you've loved this podcast, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe because that helps other people find this podcast and get all of the goodness out of it too. This podcast has been produced by Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. If you want to find out more, head online to brooklynpodcastingstudio.com.